Let's just get started. In the Gospels, there is this phrase that Jesus uses, and I think a lot of times when we repeat the phrase in, 21, in the 21st century, we kind of miss one of the ways that Jesus often uses this, phrases, uh, this phrase. And, and, and often how we hear this phrase is kind of like it's an invitation, but often what Jesus does with this phrase is, sure, it's an invitation, but often he uses it as a challenge. And that phrase is when Jesus says, follow me. Now, you, you might not think of that as, as a challenge because often we, we see, especially that initial story where Jesus is talking to the disciples, telling them, uh, inviting them really to follow him, to drop what they're doing and follow him. But almost every time that Jesus talks about this idea of following him as, as their source of life, as, as their rabbi, as their teacher, as their Lord, almost every time it's actually kind of being posed as a challenge more than an invitation, I would say. Uh, take, take this passage that Jacqueline just read, but I'm going to reread it. Matthew 16, verse 24. This is, this is what Jesus says. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? When Jesus is posing this idea to the disciples about following him, this is a challenge. Jesus is essentially saying, okay, hey, you want to follow me? My disciples, you've shown that you want to follow me? Okay, here's the deal. We're going to do more than just our favorite version of the Jewish religion. Like, if you follow me, it means you're picking your cross up, you're picking your execution tool up, and you're following me towards execution. That's a challenge. We hear this passage, and we hear Jesus say, follow me, and we say, oh, I like that. I want to follow him. The disciples, especially when they heard it right there in Matthew 16, they heard this, and they go, ah, Jesus... Quick thing, um, I don't know if this is as approachable as some of the other stuff you teach. <laughs> like, some of the love your neighbor stuff, love it. Pick up your cross? Like, I, like, could we rework that? Let's workshop it. But this is what Jesus, this is how Jesus posed this idea of following him as a challenge. And that's not the only place where Jesus talks about following him as a challenge. In fact, there's this one time where this rich young ruler, he comes up to Jesus and he's, he's, he seems to be excited about Jesus. And he's going, okay, what do I have to do to inherit, uh, inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, all you got to do is sell everything you have and then follow me. And then the rich young guy just goes away sad. Another time, another time, there's this religious uh, leader, a scribe, enthusiastically, he comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, I want to follow you. I want to follow you. And Jesus' response to him is different than what my response as a pastor would be or our response as leaders would be. Jesus' response to this enthusiastic guy who wants to follow him, he says, listen, guy, I don't have a bed. I don't even have a bed to sleep on. Are you sure you want to follow me? Very often, as Jesus talks about this idea of following him, it's a challenge. It's more than just an invitation. 
I think a lot of people in Jesus' day and a lot of people in our day, when it comes to Jesus, we just want to play this like, let's pick our favorite religion game or pick our favorite values game, or pick our favorite morality game, and Jesus seems to be the top at that. And it's not surprising that people treat Jesus like that. When you look at his teachings, you see it. He, had, he does have the top morality. He does have the top values. He taught a lot of really beautiful things. But it seems that when Jesus talks to those that simply want him as a spiritual guru, he wants to challenge them to follow him in a way unlike anything they're prepared for. It's like he wants to say, listen, okay, you can follow me, but this is gonna be a bit different than having a spiritual guru. There, when you follow me, life's gonna be different. When you follow me, I'm gonna show you the way to life. But you're not gonna like a lot of what I show you. And you're probably not going to like a lot of what happens to you. So when Jesus says, follow me, it is a beautiful invitation, but it's also this challenge from Jesus that we have to hear in its fullness. Last week, we started the series called The Beloved Community Is. And if you didn't hear that sermon, I would say go back, listen to that sermon, because it's a huge part of, of the transition that we're in. But we announced that this family of churches that we are part of with Redemption Alhambra and a soon-to-be South Phoenix church plant, we have come up with a name for what we will be called, and it's the Beloved Community. And what we're doing in this series called The Beloved Community is, is we're looking at what are our values? What are the things that brought us together? Who do we aspire to be? Who do we want to be? What are the ways that we are trying to follow Jesus or listen to how he wants us to follow us? Essentially, just what are our values? In this whole series, we're just looking at a lot of those values that we, as a family of churches, we, as the beloved community, will share together and pursue together. And this week, we're, we're week two of the series, we're looking at this idea that the beloved community is a community of intentional disciples. Meaning that we're not just playing the Jesus is spiritual guru game. We are taking his call to follow him as seriously as we can. And that's one of our values. And if we are gonna take his call to follow him seriously, that means it takes intentionality to follow him. So two things that we're gonna talk about today. Both of these are values of the beloved community and values of our church. The first is what it means to be an intentional disciple. And the second thing we'll talk about is our calling to make intentional disciples. So the reason that we, as a family of churches with the beloved community, want to talk about the beloved community as a community of intentional disciples is it is far too easy to have Jesus in our lives without following him intentionally and miss a lot of the life that is found in him or miss a lot of what he wants to disciple us into, right? It's easy, I've noticed this in my own life, it's easy to follow Jesus in a way where you just pick from his teachings in a way that's like picking off of your favorite uh, items or picking off items off your favorite restaurant menu, 
right? A lot of times that's how we follow Jesus. Like how we pick off of our favorite restaurant menu. Just, you know, only picking the things we're most interested in or just the things that are our favorites, but never the whole menu. These people that I referenced at the beginning that came up to Jesus and Jesus challenged them to follow him more truly, they weren't just like casual religious people. They seemed really enthusiastic about Jesus even. Like they seemed like they really like what he's teaching. They seemed really excited to follow him. And yet Jesus says, hey, if you're going to do that, it's going to take some serious intentionality. It's going to take some serious counting of the cost. And so, so the first thing that I want to challenge us with today, because this is a value of us as the beloved community, is to take our identity as disciples of Jesus more seriously. Uh, John Mark Comer, he uh, just came out with a new book. It's called Practicing the Way. I haven't finished the whole book, so if it gets heretical in the second half, I'm sorry. But the first half, he's a, he's a great teacher, so he's very orthodox. But uh, his book's really good, and he, he's talking about this idea of being a disciple of Jesus. And he says, often in Christianity, what we miss in our following of Jesus is we miss that being a disciple of Jesus is like being an apprentice of Jesus. So if you, if you don't know that terminology, he even thinks apprentice is a better way to translate that word disciple. But if you don't know what an apprentice is, uh, an apprentice is usually someone that goes to a master tradesman, so someone who works in a trade of some sort. It could be any kind of trade. And, sa- and says, hey, I want to apprentice under you, learn what you do, do what you do. Curtis Chance at our church, he's a master electrician. He often has apprentices. And John Mark Comer says, our following of Jesus should look more like that, just like uh, an apprentice to an electrician goes up to an electrician and says, okay, how do I be an electrician? How would I learn the ways of being an electrician? What do I do? And over time learns more and more and more until they themselves can live just like that electrician. John Mark Comer says that we, with Jesus, should do the same thing. He is trying not to make us master electricians necessarily, but he's trying to make us fully human, to know what it means to be truly human. And so I think that if we are not intentional about our discipleship, if we're not intentional about how we follow Jesus, we will miss what it means to be truly human. And so I want to take a few minutes to talk about what does it mean or how really How do we be intentional disciples of Jesus? How do we hear that calling more clearly? I think that this is the first part of it. I think first and foremost, there needs to be an activeness to our following of Jesus. There needs to be effort put forth. In American Christianity, there's a bit of a phobia of the the word effort. Right? Because we've been saved through grace. That is 100% true. But then I don't understand the phobia towards this, this idea of having effort in our faith. I think we just have to remember Christianity is allergic to earning your way into kingdom, not effort once you're in the kingdom. Right? Could you imagine if someone gets married to somebody and says, hey, I know I used to take you on dates. I, I know I used to say nice things. Now we're married. 
it's all grace. Like, I don't have to do any of that anymore. I don't. Like, that's the gospel, right? Like, that would be ridiculous. And I think the same way God has united himself to us, he's brought us into his kingdom, and because, as a response to that, we show effort. We, we have an activist. We pursue God. We pursue being discipled by him. We pursue his likeness. Like, effort is okay. We don't have to have a phobia of this word effort. We can have a phobia of earning our way into the kingdom. We, have, we can even have a phobia of often uh, the re- religious elite, myself included, make up and add all these rules that God himself doesn't make, and then that feels like a heavy burden of efforts. So we could be a, have a phobia of that, but effort put forth in our following of Jesus is actually a good thing. And so if we're going to intentionally follow Jesus, we have to think about that. We have to think, okay, where do I need to put in effort? Because I think often effort in relationships and effort with God are what make us more mature disciples of Jesus. Our effort doesn't earn us the identity of a disciple of Jesus, but it does mature us and grow us in all kinds of ways. I truly believe God's grace, it won't leave us alone. Once we've truly seen and understood and experienced God's grace, it won't leave us alone. It won't leave us static. It will move us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. It will move us more and more into godliness, into holiness. It will, God's grace itself will cause us to go on a faith journey full of effort and following, following Jesus. Full of intentionality. John Mark Comer, when he talks about what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus or a disciple of Jesus, he has this three-fold framework that's just really good. I, uh, rather than claim it for myself, I want to give him credit. And rather than make something up myself, I'd rather just use his because he's smarter than me. And so I'm always, I've always been bad at, like, come up with a catchy phrase. I'm like, I, I know. I don't know how to do that. Like... So John Mark Comer, he says, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, and what I would say, if you want to be an intentional disciple of Jesus, there are three things we have to do. The first is be with Jesus. The second is become like Jesus. And the third is to do as Jesus did. Okay? I think if we find ourselves doing each one of those things, we'll find there's a ton of intentionality in how we walk out our, our, our us being disciples, our identity of being a disciple of Jesus. So I want to take a few minutes to talk each one, about each one of those one at a time. So first, if we are going to be intentional disciples, we need to spend time with Jesus or be with Jesus, as John Mark Comer says. Guys, one of my favorite promises in Scripture is when Jesus is talking to the disciples before he's about to go to the cross and he says, listen, I'm gonna go away, but it's gonna be better for you because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to be with all of you, in all of you. What a wild claim. I cannot believe it sometimes that the embodied Jesus, him going away would be better for us, better for our faith, better for the world. But that's what Jesus says. He says that somehow by him going away and him sending the Holy Spirit, he would be with all of us. That is a wild, wild claim. I'm a bit of a charismatic because I believe Jesus. 
I believe somehow that's true. That somehow, even though Jesus is gone, we can be with him through his spirit. I don't think that was just a promise for then. I think that's a promise for all times and all places until Jesus returns. That somehow we can be with Jesus. I think the most notable ways that happens is through prayer and scripture. But there's all sorts of other means of grace, as as we talked about about a month ago. Ways to be with Jesus, to spend time with Jesus. I think if you and I are going to be intentional disciples of Jesus, we need to spend time with Jesus. Here's why I think that's really important for us in this room to talk about. It's because I think our church tends to attract people that don't always prioritize being with Jesus, but very often prioritize living like Jesus. And I noticed it especially, I went from one church before we came up here and helped plant this church where everybody was all about being, uh, spending time with Jesus and never really being like him. And then I came up here and I realized, man, this church in a good way wants to be like Jesus, but they don't want to spend time as much. It's not as high of a priority. I think if we're going to be fully orb disciples, fully healthy disciples of Jesus, we have to spend time with him. Being with Jesus is crucial to us being intentional disciples. And so, here's what I'll say. Find ways to be with Jesus. It doesn't even always it doesn't even have to look how you've always been taught it looks. If you need help and resources on this, I could say 25 things right here. The sermon would be longer, so I'm not going to. But if you need help and resources on this, let me know. I can send you some books. I can show you some, th- some of these different spiritual disciplines, as they're often called, that are ways of being with Jesus. Pick up, pick up that book, Practicing the Way. It kind of goes into it a little bit, especially around contemplative prayer, which is a bit different than the sort of prayer, prayers that we are used to praying. There are a lot of ways to be with Jesus. There are many ways to, to pray, even. There, there are many ways to connect with Scripture. I think a lot of times we just go, well, at my church growing up, I heard this is the way, and at church that I go to right now, I hear this is the way, and we get kind of stuck when really God will encounter us in all kinds of ways. I think primarily, though, through prayer and Scripture, but even how we pray and how we encounter Scripture can be very different than maybe what you've been taught or what you're used to. I I think we really, if we want to be intentional disciples of Jesus, we're going to have to spend time with Jesus. I think there's something else that's important as it relates to this idea of being with Jesus is I think a challenge we face and what stops us from being with Jesus a lot is the complexity of our lives, right? Growing up, Pastors love to use this example. It would be like, uh, every time I ask someone how they are, they go, fine, fine, fine. Everyone's fine, but I know you're not fine. And then they'd be like, you got to be more vulnerable and tell me how bad your life is, that kind of thing. I would say this. Now when I ask people how you are, it's busy, 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 busy. Like, it's always busy. We're all busy. I don't know if you know this, but this is a free country, as I heard in fifth grade growing up. And I mean that to say, like, you can order your life in a way that it is more simple. 
A lot of times we act like we're like enslaved by our busyness. There's no way out of it. Now listen, there are seasons where it is just more busy because of how life is. And you have to deal with those things and you have to live in a busy season of life. Like one thing I love to tell moms of newborns, a lot of times they'll come to me but they'll be like, man, I just, I'm not having enough time for my quiet time. And it's like a week after they had a baby. I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> like God is okay with that. You're in a busy season of life. But outside of those extraordinary times, I wonder if we as Christians, if we really want to spend time with Jesus, I wonder if we have to make our lives more simple. Throughout Christian history and at different points in Christian history, this idea of simplicity, of making our lives more simple, was something that was seen as a spiritual discipline so that they could spend more time with Jesus. And so I'll just say this. If you want to spend more time with Jesus, I wonder if you have to simplify your life, which would mean you letting go of some things, learning how to live differently, shifting things around in your life so that you can be with Jesus. Or I think it also just means to live more intentionally. I think a lot of times Christian spirituality gets touted as like, you need to be like just praying all the time, never enjoying any of the good gifts of creation. And I would just say, no, how can you live life the way you're living it and then Jesus is also part of it intentionally? He's already there through the Spirit, but how do you invite him into more of that? How do you intentionally take time to pray? How do you pray without ceasing, as Paul says? So I, I, I think if we're going to be intentional disciples of Jesus, it's going to take spending time with Jesus, being with Jesus, something I deeply desire for our church. Uh, the second thing that it will take for us to be an intentional disciple of Jesus is that we need to become like Jesus. If we are just like the apprentice, if we are just like the apprentice under the electrician, but we are apprentices under Jesus, that means we have to become like him. That was the whole point of discipleship in Jesus' day. That was the whole point. Rabbis would take on disciples only after that rabbi felt like that person, usually uh, some young teenage man, could become a rabbi like him. Rabbis would turn away far more people than they would take on as disciples, which is astounding that Jesus is just going around just like finding people in the shadows and bringing them in as his disciples. Meaning, I think, to teach all of us, anybody can be a disciple of Jesus. But in Jesus' day, that, that's, that was the point of being a disciple, that you would sit under your rabbi's teaching, his ways, and then one day when he was gone, you would be able to be like that rabbi wherever you were. So if we are going to be intentional disciples of Jesus, we have to become like Jesus. We have to see how Jesus lived life, how Jesus carried himself, how Jesus was centered by love, how Jesus was full of grace and full of truth, and we have to seek those things as part of us. We have to allow the Spirit to allow those things to form in us. I think a lot of times in our becoming like Jesus, in our following of Jesus and looking at Jesus, a lot of times we tend to all have like a favorite version of Jesus that we pay attention to and strive for and not the fully orb Jesus. 
right? Like this becomes a lot like, like ordering off a menu again. There, there's Christians who like love the, the truth telling of Jesus and their favorite story is when Jesus flipped the tables. Love that. Jesus flipped tables, so do I, right? There's the... There's, a, there's Christians who love the grace of Jesus and they kind of only reference Luke 15 in the prodigal son story as like all of their theology and there's nothing else. And we've got justice-oriented Christians who reference Jesus' challenges, sharp challenges to the Pharisees saying that they had neglected justice. And then we've even got morally-oriented Christians who love Jesus' way of morality, and they think that's what's most important about Jesus. Here's what I want to say. It's okay if there's a part of Jesus you're more drawn to. You just have to know the Jesus that walked the earth and the Jesus that was shown in the scriptures was much more of a fully-orbed person than a lot of us realize sometimes. And if we are apprenticing under Jesus, if we're being intentional disciples, it means we are trying to become that sort of fully orbed person, that sort of complex goodness that Jesus embodies, not just our favorite parts about Jesus. So it's going to, if we're going to become like Jesus, it's probably going to take a bit of self-awareness to know which parts of Jesus we often forget. And we don't allow to form us and shape us or be something we want to try to imitate. And so, Christian, we have to find ways to become more like Jesus. So sometimes that is just imitating what he does. Like spending time in prayer, spending time with the Father. Sometimes it's, uh, it takes you thinking through, okay, how would... Jesus react to the situation I'm in? How would he deal with the situation I'm in? And you begin to let that be a pattern of behavior for you instead of the pattern of behavior that's most natural to you. Sometimes it's starting new, totally new behaviors for yourself and and, and ways of living in this world if we're gonna become like Jesus. Sometimes it's realizing how much we fall short of being like Jesus and then actually dealing with it. I think Christians are really good at confessing sin and we can be really bad at actually repenting from sin. Like we're really good at being like, I messed up. And then we're like, well then stop it, right? And that's a little bit complicated. It's not just easy to just stop something because of sin's hold on us, but we have to be intentional if we want to mortify that out of our life, kill it out of our life, whatever the sinful behavior is. Things like, Going to therapy, going to counseling, getting more rooted in God's word, finding intentional ways to be healthy and whole, realizing and understanding when you're not instead of, keep, keep, instead of just to keep going with a flat tire. If we're going to be fully orbed disciples of Jesus, we have to become like Jesus, which is mostly a work of the spirit, but I think our effort is involved. All right. John Mark Comer's final description of what a disciple is and what I would say an intentional disciple is, is to do as Jesus did. Very similar to the last one. To do as Jesus did. I think this, is, this category is especially where we won't be able to get away with using Jesus as simply our, our spiritual guru. If we do what Jesus did in all the ways that we should, those, those statements that Jesus makes about following 
him and, and them being sort of a challenge, we will go, oh, I get why that was a challenge. I get why that can be heard as a challenge and why Jesus meant it as a challenge. Just think about some of the things that Jesus did. Jesus worked restoration into the lives of the vulnerable and anyone he encountered. Imagine if you just began to do that. I know what we would as Americans do. We would say boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Like, like that's what we do. Boundaries are a good thing. I'm getting a little bit snarky today. I apologize, but boundaries are a really good thing, and some people really actually need boundaries, and it, your, your lack of boundaries are keeping you from living like Jesus. But a lot of us, we won't press into lives to help bring restoration to the vulnerable because it's just a little bit too awkward or weird or yucky or time-consuming. If we want to be disciples of Jesus, we have to do what he did. Jesus, he lived a, a cross-shaped life, a cruciform life. This is how he lives throughout the Gospels, constantly loving people through sacrifice. If we're going to do what Jesus did, we have to love people through self-sacrifice. Jesus often stood with those that society had scorn for, and he would cause those that had scorn for that part of society to look at that part of society and see the image of God on them. Just imagine if you began to do that, how hard that would be. Jesus spent time with the Father. Jesus spent time with people. Jesus was persecuted for teaching truth about God. If we want to be apprentices of Jesus, we have to see the things he did and we have to find how we do them in our lives today. I think for each of us, it probably looks different. For each of us, it, it takes a lot of self-awareness and discernment, right? Even just with like that boundaries conversation I was having earlier. Some people, you actually need to put up boundaries in order to do this well, just like Jesus actually seems to put up boundaries in different ways. Some of you need to realize you're using boundaries as an excuse to never be around people. Sort of a secular Phariseeism in one sense. If we want to be like Jesus, we have to do the things that he's doing. If we want to be intentional disciples, we have to do as Jesus did. And that's going to take effort. It's going to take intentionality. You're not going to fall into doing those things. I think Jesus, following Jesus is the good life. And it is an easy yoke. But as we follow him, it will become clear to us why his love is described as sacrificial love. It takes sacrifice on our part. Because we would rather do what our flesh wants to do. So being an intentional disciple means to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what he did. My hope for the beloved community is we would take our identity as disciples of Jesus seriously. That we would be intentional disciples of Jesus. But there's something else we have to remember. And I think it's just something most people of the church, and it's really only like a few leaders tend to remember, if Jesus has made us his disciples, that means now part of what God is doing is we're part of a community of intentional disciples, which means we are part of God's effort to make disciples. God, through you guys, wants to make disciples. We can't forget that that is a key part of our work, and that's one of our key values at the beloved community, to make disciples. Read with me one of the final commands of Jesus. It will be on the screen. Matthew 28 
starting in verse 18, says this, Jesus came near to them and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Here's just my anecdotal experience. Most churches I've been part of in my life, we hear that, which is called the Great Commission. We say we're all about that. And then collectively as the vast majority of the church, we kind of go, but that's really only like a few people's jobs. That's only some leaders' jobs. I, I think that we are all called to this work, to this project of making disciples in some way. This might be an overwhelming sermon. I'm sorry if it's an overwhelming sermon. It might be overwhelming because I just said, hey, if we're going to be intentional disciples, you've got to be with Jesus. You've got to become like Jesus. You've got to do as he did. And now I'm saying, now you also got to make other people do that too. It's too much. And maybe it is. That's why he gave us his actual spirit, I think. But I think it's too much sometimes because I think we think of making disciples as this like great conversion project. Like we think of it as this great sales project and everybody in the room is like, I'm not a good salesman. I'm not going to be good at this. I just think we're thinking through making disciples in wrong ways, in wrong categories. I think it's also uh, hard because we think we have to be like Paul or Jesus himself in, in proclaiming the gospel and gathering people in and that kind of thing. And I think that if we see the full teaching of the New Testament, we'll realize, hey, we're all part of the body. We all have different gifts and skill sets. We all can contribute to this project of making disciples in different ways, and we can be okay with what our part in that project is. My thing is, I just think we all have a part in that project. There's a lot to the mission of God. We'll talk about that in this series at some point. But one part of God's work in this world is to make disciples. And so if we're going to be intentional disciples, I think we have to realize part of that intentionality will take us consciously thinking through what does it mean for us as a church to make disciples? How does the Spirit want to use us for that part of God's mission? I think... I think it's going to take us realizing it's going to take a few things, and it's going to take us being committed to a few things. I think together we have to be committed to a proclamation of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I think it's going to be, uh, take a commitment to a proclamation of Jesus himself, who he is. Sometimes we just think, oh, I just uh, evangelize is just telling the facts of the gospel. That's part of it. I think the good evangelize evangelizing takes introducing someone to Jesus, showing them who Jesus is. But I also think good evangelizing and good making of disciples takes living out the gospel, actually living that out with our lives. And I think it also takes out living out love. I think all of those things are things that we have to be committed to as we take part in this grand project to make disciples of all nations, of all people. Most, most people that come to our church, new people, it's because they moved to town and they found their we our website and they liked our website. They probably didn't preview any of my sermons and <laughs> made it in somehow. 
And that's good. That's a totally fine way to find a church. I'm not saying that's bad. But I just, what if one of the bigger ways our church grew was because we were out in the community making disciples of Jesus? That's a value of mine. That's a value of Jesus's. I think that should be a value of our church, and it's a value of the beloved community. We actually live in a town full of people that don't know Jesus or don't want anything to do with Jesus. Prime candidates to make disciples. Right? I've actually met one or two people who flat out, they knew the name Jesus, but they had no idea what he was, who he's about, really how he's connected to Christianity. I've never experienced that in my life before moving to Flagstaff. God wants to use us on this project of making disciples. And we, if we're going to be intentional disciples, we have to ask the Spirit, okay, what's my part in that? How do I be involved in this project? Because at the end of the day, guys, I, I don't want it so that we have a big room full of people. I just want people to find the treasure that I have found too. And I know the treasure that is Jesus is what they were made for. So church, the beloved community, is a community of intentional disciples, which means we have to take our own identity as a disciple of Jesus more seriously, and it means that we are part of God's work to make disciples. May we live into that identity and work out that identity the way the Spirit of God is calling us to. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for making us all disciples, God. At the end of the day, you are the one that makes us disciples, makes all disciples. And it's because you are willing to step into our world, meet us where we're at, and do so much beautiful things for us to see that and know that. And so, God, I pray that we would take this idea seriously. I pray that we would be intentional disciples. I, I pray that we would think through ways of what it means to be with you, to become like you, to do as you do. And then, God, I really do pray that we as a church would be active in figuring out what it means to make disciples, that we would take steps to do that, that we would figure out our part in that project of yours, God, and that you would just speak clearly to us in that. Father God, we love you and we need you and we're thankful for you. Thank you for drawing us in and protect anybody in this room from any of my words that were too flippant, God, or too heavy of a burden, God. But I, I ask that you would uh, give us all the, the right balance to understand uh, what I was trying to communicate this morning. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.